0: Everybody, you're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode five oh five Big Sports Weekend. Hello, Big Chillians. Welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. Frank joined as Eddie on a unique time and, and day. We, this could be a, a recordagami for us. <laughs>
1: um yeah, we've probably never recorded
0: I, I on a Saturday morning. I, I mean, don't, I don't even so. know if we've ever
1: recorded <laughs> on a Saturday before. Already that might be a novelty. We've I think we've done pretty much every other day of the week. But it's rare. A weekend recording for us is extremely rare. I mean you leave you lead a busy life. Eddie. Do I? <laughs> Is that the issue? I think the time difference is the the bigger factor in it than the incredibly busy life that I lead. I mean, my Saturday consists
0: of an early morning gym session and then watching college football and doing laundry. Some so. decent
1: college football today too. So at least you got big Penn Michigan, State, Penn State, game. Alabama, Tennessee. Also, yep. I don't know. I'm, I I I never know how to feel about these Alabama games where I think we kind of they like to talk them up as this this is going to be a real test for Alabama and history would tell us that Alabama will win comfortably but who knows yeah should
0: be a a, a fun Saturday and then i mean even you have some real good premier league matches well up. it's
1: it's a weekend of of interesting european european you football have, you've got city yeah, liverpool a uh, El clasico in 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 spain with real madrid barcelona you have psg marseille in in france which uh, from a rivalry standpoint, is significant. Um, I think because it's still fairly early in the season, people will try and talk up some significance in terms of the actual league standings. But I mean, this is PSG are going to run away with Liga, whether they win this one, draw this one, or lose this one. So it kind of doesn't matter. And actually, Bayern Munich tomorrow facing, you know, they've had an inconsistent start to the Bundesliga season, and they are playing Freiburg, who are, you know, in the top half of the table. So as they look to. I mean, a very typical Bayern Munich season so far: early league struggles and a bit of inconsistency, and then by January, February, they'll be six, seven points clear, and, and the league will be over. But it seems to Germany follows the same pattern pretty much every season. Yeah,
0: I mean, a little disappointing though. They've they've
1: ruined a few a few good parts. Oh no! Yeah. This Bayern have definitely already. been, in, aside <laughs> from in the Champions League, Bayern have very much been bet ruiners for people out there. Yeah. But I guess speaking of football teams ruining things, we can then maybe talk about Jurgen Klopp's mini rant that he had in his press conference, speaking about how it's slightly unfair that you have these state-owned teams who are able to spend unlimited sums of money and that for everyone else it's impossible for them to compete. He's obviously making reference to Manchester City ahead of their match on Sunday, but also through Newcastle into that category and PSG are also there. I don't know why he's necessarily limited to those sets of teams, because I think there are other teams out there who could kind of spend virtually unlimited sums. But, you know, I understand where he's coming from, and he's right that Liverpool have to run themselves sort of as a real business in a way that City or PSG or Newcastle certainly do not have to. The thing that bothers me is you then get a lot of Liverpool supporters feeling as if either this is an excuse or a kind of badge of honor that they're a kind of proper football club and city or Newcastle or PSG aren't. And it's like, well, that's great. But all of the non top four, top six teams in England and you know, 99% of the football clubs in Europe would look at Liverpool and the amount of money they're able to spend and say, well, this just isn't fair. Like, so Unless Jurgen Klopp is pushing for a sort of more American style management of leagues where you have some kind of salary cap and a quest for parity, even though it's virtually impossible to achieve, unless that's the goal, saying this isn't really that fair because that team can spend more than us, is he apologizing every other week when Liverpool are playing Southampton saying... Well, I know we're going to go onto this pitch tomorrow and compete eleven v eleven, but realistically, we've won this match already because we've outspent them by 150 million pounds in putting our squad together.
0: Yeah, and well, I mean, my question is: is he just saying this because they've year of spending, so he's kind of in this situation where he where they look like they don't spend very much, so they're they're kind Liverpool, of low, at least in the Premier League table. Yeah. I think he's saying it. Because this year they haven't spent very much, um,
1: but is that is that has that been consistent? So consistently, I think if you look over the last ten years, I think City have outspent Liverpool by something like six hundred and fifty million pounds. I think it's something along those lines, and you know Liverpool have sold quite a lot of players in a way that Liverpool, uh, sorry, Liverpool have sold quite a lot of players in a way that City have not. So you know they've balanced. So, Liverpool have kind of balanced the books pretty well from a spending standpoint, but. Still, they're they're spending. You know, they're signing big players. It's like it's not as if you know when they're bringing Darwin Nunes in, they're not bringing him in for five pounds. You know, so they are outspending the vast majority of the Premier League, yeah. and that's not the hidden cost of all this. Right, is wages. So it's also one thing for him to say, okay, well maybe we can point to the fact that like there might be a season where randomly Southampton do outspend us in the actual publicized transfer fees but they might be signing a player onto 60,000 pounds a week and Liverpool are bringing their players in on, you know, 150,000 pounds a week. So the long term the kind of overall cost over the lifetime of the contract of that player might be more even though another club might have spent more on the original transfer fee. So uh, yeah.
0: So, so so I went so
1: I'm on transfer
0: market. I went back for the past 10 years for Premier League. Liverpool sit fifth in expenditures. Yeah at 1 1.23 billion. And I'm sure on on sales and City City is second at 1.8 and Chelsea is one at 1.95. But then when you put in the so income, which the is what you're going to say, right? Yeah. And you look at the net balance, Liverpool have done substantially better than City where Liverpool is at a negative 430 million, 430 million and uh, city as as in a negative 1000 mean billion or yeah yeah so, i know it's just that they put 1000 million um, here which is strange yeah
1: so there's a that's a net negative difference of of 550 ish million over the course yeah. of 10 years so you'd say on average they're outspending Liverpool by 55 million which you could maybe say that means on average they're signing one extra player per season if you kind of tried to work it out and that's a significant difference but it's just the issue i have with
0: but when you're that high at that point is is one maybe I, i don't know i think at that point when you're spending that much if you are just a little better at managing your team and selecting better players it's really not that significant of a difference i don't know it's pretty big
1: Like, I I put it this way, with the way Liverpool run themselves, they were not in the running for Erling Holland this summer. Because yes, with his release clause, the actual cost of the original transfer wasn't that much. But when you fact in agent's fees, what his dad was supposedly paid on top of it, and the astronomical salary that he is picking up at City, which is rumored to be something in the region of sort of 45 to 50 million pounds a year, Again, not part of this calculation. They were not in contention. They were not in a position to be able to sign him. I mean, there's other reasons as well, but I just think he wouldn't have signed for them even if they had been able to match all of the offers that were on the table. But look, I can understand the frustration. The issue I have a little bit with Jurgen Klopp in general is when things are going against him, he's very good at complaining. And when things are going his way, he's pretty smug. And... If he wants to commit himself right now to the idea of fixing the way that football is run, coming in with financial fair play rules that are equally punitive for clubs at the top of the tree as they are for clubs at the bottom of the tree. If he wants to find some way to introduce some sort of a salary cap or to you know have some kind of financial regulation that makes sense, I'm all for it. I think it would be much the better. And I think it's a shame that most European leagues are going the way of only having one or two clubs that have a realistic chance of winning at the beginning of each season. You can kind of, you know, like we could do our preseason prediction for the Premier League for next season already. And we'd be pretty accurate, you know? And so I'm all in favor of, of those kind of regulations being in place, but that's not what he wants. He just wants a little bit less criticism of himself and of Liverpool because they haven't had a great start to the season. And that's the only reason why this is coming up. If Liverpool were five points clear at the top of the table, he might make reference to it and saying, isn't it wonderful we're here but we didn't spend quite as much money? But it wouldn't be as much of a talking exactly. point. Exactly. He, yeah, he would spin the yarn another
0: way to kind of make it show how much better he's doing than all the other managers because of what little yeah. money he's got to spend. Look at how great they're doing.
1: Yeah. But, you know, that's... And I again, I get it. And it must be frustrating, because he will feel like, you know, Liverpool have come within a match or two of winning three Premier League titles in his time in charge, which would have completely changed the way they are viewed in history. And he might be looking at their window closing or it looks like their window might be closing a bit. And for as much as everyone has spoken about over the last, you know, if we go back to the back end of last season, how City and Liverpool might be two, the current or the version of them last year might have been two of the best teams in the history of European football, one of the greatest rivalries in the history of English football, how the Premier League was kind of in its almost best ever era in terms of the quality at the very top and their dominance, it's not that easy to look into the future you know, 10, 15 years from now when that same kind of analysis is being done and think Liverpool only won one Premier League title in that period and, okay, they won the Champions League. But realistically, were they that good? You know, like It's going to be able to, because of their lack of league titles, they're going to get dismissed pretty swiftly in terms of where they stand from a historical perspective. You love
0: saying that. No, but it's just... <laughs> it gives you so much It doesn't much give care. me any joy.
1: It's just the reality. It gives you know, you we had to sit joy. through it. Look,
0: look. But I mean, so so I guess... But I understand. You're right. But do you put any stock into the fact that, okay, yes, they didn't win the Premier League, but they made it to the last day and got arguably one of the closest seconds you can get? No. There's no I mean, stock mean, I in that?
1: Yes. For the people who either have very good memories, sort of live through the moment, remember it, and are not Liverpool supporters because they'll obviously remember it forever. But realistically, no, because history, you know, like we just don't go into that much detail about how a team necessarily won the title or who finished second. It all gets pretty much forgotten, right? You know, I think about it as a Blackburn supporter. Blackburn won the title on the last day of the season. They only won it because Manchester United slipped up and didn't win. Blackburn lost on the final day of the season at Anfield to Liverpool. And so in another, you know, if Manchester United had managed to find a winner against West Ham, Blackburn don't win the league. And, you know, that entire era of Blackburn Rovers is remembered differently because they wouldn't have won the league during it. And at the same time, not that many people kind of remember just how close Manchester came to winning the league that season. And so, no, I think, you know, I, I think if you win in an, an extremely memorable way, like when city won their first ever premier league title with the injury time Aguero winner against QPR, the kind of two late goals to win them the title. And, winning after Manchester United's match had already finished and it looked like United had won the t- title in, in a surprising fashion. I think people remember it from that perspective. But just, I think, 20 years from now, people will just remember City winning the title again. And they won't really think about the fact that do you do know there was 60, 65 minutes into the matches on the final day of the season it looked like City were not going <laughs> to win it. We're no- Very few people are going to go into that level of detail.
0: Yeah, I was gonna try and bring a Patriots analogy up, but the Patriots had just too many Super Bowl wins that I can't make that analogy. Well,
1: uh, I mean, it's right though. I mean, if you think about it, right? The the Patriots didn't dominate many of the Super Bowls that they won. You know, like a lot of the Super. Well,
0: I, I, I I didn't actually even mean it in that sense. I was gonna say, you know, like the Patriots probably go down as. The greatest long-lasting dynasty in NFL, like a twenty-year span where they were yes. a dynasty, but they only won six times out yeah, of those but that's twenty incredible. years. But yet, I know, that's I know. A, that's yeah, what that's what not a good comparison. A, a shitty argument. If it were four, I think you could. I'll make give you. A, I'll give you. I'll but, give you a better. But What? What? But what no, i was no, going to say. But what I was going to no, no, say before, befo- I'll, so I'll give you up. a better. I'll give you a better
1: <laughs> NFL comparison. It's Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers could be Liverpool. And then, in that, we'll get to the end and go. Wow! At his peak, he was really, really good, and some man one multiple MVPs. And it's it's tough to make a
0: case for a whole team with one person because
1: no, but you want to do a comparison to the NFL. I, I,
0: I know, I, I know what you're saying.
1: And how how will history remember Aaron Rodgers? Probably not as kindly as we remember him or place him now, because as things age. The less you have won, the harder it is to make a case for you. Like the, win.
0: But he's a four-time MVP one.
1: Yeah, but winning.
0: So if, if 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 you're go if but but if you're if you're one person isn't winning the best player, the the award. But right? okay,
1: so as people who've lived through the era, I think you can make a legitimate case for the fact if you take, you know, a little overlap in generations. But if you go Manning, Brady, uh Mahomes and Rodgers, I think you can make a legitimate case that Rodgers is the most talented of all of those four. That he is the fundamentally the best quarterback and just the team that he was on and maybe a little bit of bad luck or whatever it is meant that he had the least, or at least looks as if he will end up having had the least team success. However, in the future, it will be very difficult 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, to look back and say Aaron Rodgers was the best quarterback of that era. Not on the best teams, but best individual quarterback. Because you go, but Brady won so many more Super Bowls. Even Manning won more Super Bowls. Mahomes will probably end up winning more Super Bowls. Mahomes may end up winning more MVPs. You know, like the, the, there's just going to be so many players that pass him on every pretty much statistical measure. From a true success standpoint, that he'll just be—he'll just kind of fade into the background.
0: Yeah, but will he fade into the background because of that, or because he's going to be high on some crazy hallucinogenic (laughs) drug out in the fucking deserts of California? Into the background of
1: anything, he'll be soaring in the skies. (laughs) He'll be floating. (laughs) But I guess then to wrap up. The Premier League discussion, maybe. What is your prediction for the Liverpool City match? Four two. Two. Yeah. No, I'm no. Going, four two uh, two. Who? To, who's? Who's winning? Oh, <laughs> okay. oh. To
0: City. To oh, City. High scoring. Uh, I thought that would. I thought that would have been pretty obvious. But and I'm going and I'm going another two for oh, for Holland for Holland. Um. I'm going to brace. And uh, actually what I was going to bet was him and Salah to both score and City to win. It's very
1: specific. (laughs) Yeah, uh, part of me feels as if um, I don't think City will lose. Part of me wouldn't be stunned if Liverpool managed to scrape a draw just because it would be a very Liverpool thing to do. I know that's the kind of thing I say quite frequently, but there is just that thought in the back of my mind at Anfield that they – well, maybe this match will bring the best out of them and that they will manage to get some sort of result from it. But they've been so poor defensively, you have to imagine that all of those City players are just looking at, looking at that and thinking, we, we're we going to be able to score three or four without trying too hard. And with Holland having been rested midweek. Yeah,
0: that's what scares me. <laughs> He's coming in fresh. And when, he, when he's not fresh, he's putting in two or three a game, a match.
1: But, yeah, a very interesting Sunday. I mean, it's in, in some ways it's disappointing that so much of the sport is taking place on the same day. It's impossible to watch everything because there's just too much going on. Yeah. And there's a lot of overlap in terms of timing. So that's, that's, that is what I would say is like a little bit of the disappointment is it would have been nice if at least one of those matches had been today. But still a great day of sport
0: yeah actually i think the real madrid barcelona intrigues me more that one has me stumped more
1: yeah no i can see where you're coming from obviously la liga is much more in the balance anyway and then you just have these very contrasting teams i think barcelona when everything goes right are probably the better team but they're a bit inconsistent, and they they have real low moments within the matches that they play. And Real Madrid are these kind of unconvincing, consistent winners. Yeah.
0: Do you almost want to call them scrappy, but you can't call them yeah, like Real no. Madrid It's scrappy. true how their image <laughs> yeah. is so much affected
1: by... It's not their style of play. It's who they are that changes the way you see them. And because they're Spanish and they're Real Madrid and one of the biggest teams in the history of football and European football, it's... You don't want to just dismiss them almost as being kind of ugly to watch, but they sort of are at the moment.
0: So before we switch off to American football, and I'm sure we'll cover some television later, I have been following the Welcome to Wrexham show on FX slash Hulu, uh, which details Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney owning Wrexham and, and going through it. There are times where it's, it's decent. And I think the times that are decent is when they actually just show the football and they do a pretty good job of like building the intensity, you know, because obviously I know what happens at the end of the day, but on a match to match basis, I wasn't following Wrexham last season. So, you know, like you you get some good ones, but they just showed the episode where they make it to the FA trophy final, right? I'm saying that right. It's the trophy in the lower one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So they make it to the FA trophy final in, in Wembley. And of course, like, because it's them, their box is filled with celebrities and stuff like that. And David Beckham is there. And this I just thought would annoy the shit out of you. So Rob McElhenney has put, like, apparently a ton of time into, like, learning the game and, and like, learning Welsh and understanding all about football and this and that. And he goes to um, one of, like, a writer who's English who also works with him. That has been like helping them out with buying the club. He's He writes for like Always Sunny or whatever, but he's like, a, I don't know, he's English. And he goes to me, he's like, Who did David Beckham play for again? Oh boy. And it's just like, Really? You wanna say that like you're all into this now and you don't fucking know who Beckham played for? Like, get out of here. <laughs> that was it. That To me, that was like the lowest moment that he could have had on well, that show.
1: You You'd think even worse too, right? if you are trying to prepare and you're kind of trying to look the part whenever you can he would have known beckham was going to be there so you th- you think oh, the yeah. night before or something you brush up on Beck- now you don't want to go into too much detail right where you don't want to walk up to david beckham and be like i really enjoyed your loan spell at preston in the 90s like you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to be like too fake but i do think just knowing that he spent most of his career at Manchester United, Real Madrid, PSG, AC Milan, like if you can LA Galaxy, like you just know those bits. It's almost stunning to me. Maybe I have this wrong, but it almost feels like Beckham was such a huge celebrity that even with no interest in football, to not know, have a rough idea of the teams he plays for is kind of mind blowing.
0: I mean, it's it's also mind blowing because he didn't play for many. And especially like he played for one Premier League team, minus the, you know, like the like you said the spell at Preston, but you know, and then and then and they weren't in Premier League, but and and then obviously then goes and plays for Real Madrid and then PSG. You know, those are like one club at each league, and then that's it. And then the Galaxy, and LA Galaxy. Like it's not that difficult to remember that, you know. And I think even me personally, I probably didn't really follow European football while he was on United, but now being a fan, like it's, I I feel like it's almost impossible to not kind of be a fan of, of it and not see tons of highlights of him playing or like go back and watch old matches on YouTube and things like that. Or like, look at some of the stats when he was at United and how much he won and all of that. So it's just crazy to me that, that, that was just, I guess. It was very embarrassing, but it won't be embarrassing because a lot of just Americans are watching this and they won't understand how embarrassing that is. That's like, oh, who did Wayne Gretzky play for again? You know, like it's almost what that's like. If you
1: Well, <laughs> well yes, day. if you'd bought a hockey team. You know, but I mean the reality is yeah. David Beckham's way more famous than Wayne Gretzky. You know, yeah, mean? yeah. No, I, it, I it'd be like
0: I agree. I'm I won't deny that.
1: <laughs> so and, and and in particular, too, like Beckham has mostly stayed relevant since retiring, right? Like if you are them, you must be talking about what he's done with Inter Miami. Like there must be some interest in that because of just he's created a team in the U.S. How has he marketed it? How has he positioned it? You know, like what what implications does that maybe even have for them if they want to try and have teams in different c- countries, perhaps if they want to kind of expand their football footprint and then at the same time you know he's a big ambassador for the upcoming world cup so you see him a lot of him in terms of the preparation for the world cup in qatar so yeah it's it is embarrassing look there we might have people listening who don't really follow like european football who think that it's not as embarrassing as we do so maybe we're wrong to a certain degree but i think you just have to factor in like if it had just been them turning up as celebrities at a match at wembley I wouldn't have thought that out. I would have been, but the yeah. fact that you own a team and you're trying to get immersed in the game, I think, yeah, you're right. It's it's just not a great look.
0: That's the really like, especially I think him more than Ryan Reynolds because he is really trying. Like he's the one who wanted to do this. The he learning just Welsh, Ryan Reynolds is on board. Insane.
1: I mean, that's just yeah. insane. That's just. That's just trying to find an easy way to make to appeal to people, but it's it's a incredibly difficult right It's totally impractical. You're never going to come across people who only speak Welsh, so there's no real need for it
0: well, I guess if you long the if you own the team long term, maybe you do
1: no, but I mean you and and look in north Wales, <laughs> Welsh is much more commonplace than it is in in the south, so yes, in that region, but still like it's there's no real benefit aside from a PR perspective saying a few things in Welsh and buttering people up. It's not like he's ever going to be giving an interview in Welsh.
0: I, yeah, I, I agree. I agree with that. But then I'm, I I can kind of see he's trying to show that he's invested in the community and, and in the team and things like that. I, I don't mind it too much. That doesn't bother me. But it's just the fact that he's putting in all this time and effort but then you show like that's that's the outcome that you can't even know that that was pretty embarrassing
1: yeah yeah
0: it is also funny too the other only funny part of that show is he's the main driver of all of this and he kind of just brought ryan reynolds on board because he has a ton of money they didn't even know each other before oh this. really like hadn't even ever met oh yeah, that didn't even i know thought each they other. were friends he reached out to ryan reynolds no, no, they didn't even know each other. Oh. They met like during this process and then they they started talking. That's actually the cool part is they started talking because of this all through Zoom because it was like during COVID. And then the first time they met was like two years after they had bought the club in person. Oh. Like they actually have on film the first time they've ever met. And it's really weird because you can tell that they have probably talked 50 times, you know, like over the course oh, of the year. More. And then they kind of see each other and they're like, They're like, oh, hey. Oh, so, oh, oh that's
1: you. Oh, okay, cool. You know, like, it's really strange. That makes me dislike them more. I was working under the assumption that they were maybe not best friends, but like acquaintances, at least. The idea that this was a kind of strategic partnership makes me dislike it more.
0: So he reached out to Ryan Reynolds, basically, and said, like, listen, I have this idea. I want to buy this club, blah, blah, blah. You have a ton of money that I don't. And you have companies that can then, like, help sponsor. So it's, like, a good deal for you. And then, like, he got Ryan Reynolds on board. But what's funny about it is now whenever they go to the matches, people love Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) And they're just like, oh, and it's that other guy who owns oh, well, the club. He's in TV shows. Because <laughs> on a level of
1: fame, right, like they're indifferent.
0: It's movies. not even close. and it's per- Particularly outside close. the
1: U.S. Because Always Sunny is not that yeah. popular of a show outside of the U.S. I mean, I don't even yeah. think Always Sunny is like even that popular in the U.S. You know, I think if you're in a group of people who like Always Sunny, like there are people who like yeah. it. or where yes, you're at. But like there's a lot of people who will have no idea about Always Sunny so whereas ryan reynolds even if you don't watch the things he's in you'll have just seen him and been aware of him from the last 20 plus years yeah i mean it's i i know he's joked about the fact that there have been references to like hollywood superstar kind of ryan reynolds plus other you know like he doesn't even get his name mentioned sometimes in terms of the wrexham yeah but it's understandable
0: yeah, it's, it is kind of funny to watch, though,
1: sometimes. <laughs> but all right. I mean, I guess we don't have to do a full game-by-game NFL preview. But we can. I mean, we've spoken about the big matchups in European football this weekend. And undoubtedly, the big one in the NFL is Bills G- Giants, Ravens. <laughs> It's Bill's Chiefs. So going into this one, what what are your thoughts going into the game?
0: Crazy that Mahomes and the Chiefs are underdogs at home. Kind of surprising. First time ever as a starter, he has not been favorite at home.
1: Yeah, I guess that both surprises me and doesn't surprise me considering the Chiefs were obviously good before he got the job, right? So... It makes sense. It doesn't surprise me that they're underdogs. Because, and Monday Night Football did little. I kind of went into, I expected them to obviously comfortably beat the Raiders on Monday Night Football. They ended scraping through that one. And I was almost disappointed because I like the Bills in this game. And part of me thought, well, if they absolutely dismantle the Raiders on Monday Night Football, then that might cause the kind of the line to shift a little bit over the course of the week. But I think the Bills deserve to be favorites. I think, you know, realistically, they should have won every game so far. They just had that weird blip against the Dolphins. I I think they'll win this. I think they're the more complete team all around. But sort of as we spoke about on the last episode with the Chiefs, you know, you just know if Mahomes is clicking and Travis Kelsey is clicking, then they can beat anyone. But I, I think the bills, the bills are better.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I, I think the bills are the better team. They still have some injuries that kind of worries me a little bit. Especially, uh, I don't know how worried I am because their injuries are on defense, and it's one of those things, right? The Chiefs are going to score no matter what. So, if you have injuries on defense and it goes from the Chiefs scoring twenty-four points to scoring thirty, is it really that big of a difference? So I, I, you know, I, I don't know, but even with those injuries, their defense has been pretty impressive. I mean, holding, holding the Ravens to to twenty is is pretty good. Um, I, I mean, maybe looking back on it, holding the the Dolphins to twenty one, and a large portion of that, they actually their defense played well. You know, so even with those injuries, I think they're playing pretty good. I will have to go with the Bills here as much as it pains me to go against the chiefs. But like you said, if the chiefs are clicking, this could be another shootout, like we saw in the playoffs and it could go down to who gets the ball last, which I think is what I would rather see. I mean, this is from a betting perspective. This is a stay away game for me. And it's just a enjoy it. Maybe, maybe throw on a prop bet, you know, maybe just throw on like a, Or, like, an over, even if we want to get a little risky, because I but the over I know is going to be pretty high, it's at 54, which is pretty high. Um, for a Buffalo team that averages 12 points per game, letting up on defense, so uh, that you know that could be high, but I think this is a game you just sit back and enjoy and hope it's a good game, a fun game. It goes like that last playoff game did. Now,
1: here's a real question if you're the Bills, would you rather absolutely win this game by 15 20 points or would you rather have a close game against the Chiefs where you come out on top? I think you just take a
0: win either way because at the end of the day, you lost to them the last time you played and you're playing in Arrowhead. And you know the Chiefs are always going to be there at the end. So if, if you can just win it at the end, even though you know they're going to be there, I think that's a big moral boost. And then you go into playoffs thinking, hey, even if we have to play him in Arrowhead, we've, beat, we've beaten him before. And then even if you're playing in Buffalo and it's a close game, you can, you know, in the fourth quarter say, hey, we've been in a close game with them before and we still came out a winner, so, you know, we can do this. So, you know, because for me, I think it's just always that mentality of the Chiefs are going to be in there, and if they're always just beating you at the end, you you can't get past that mentally.
1: No, I agree, and it's the kind of – it's the thing I doubt about the Bills, which, you know, their win against the Ravens recently – was maybe an indication that they've overcome that issue but the doubt with them is they're great when they're ahead by you know they either destroy teams or they tend to lose close games and you know when the playoffs come it's unlikely that you're going to win the super bowl winning every game by 15 plus points so you're going to have a test in there and i i'd want to have I'd want to pass some of those tests before you get to absolutely must win games. So yeah, if I were them, I'd rather, I'd love it if you could, if you could kind of script it, if I were them, I'd love to have a situation where you have, you're down four and you get the ball back with 90 seconds to go and you just put together a drive and, and win it with a a kind of walk-off touchdown. I feel like that would be, yeah, people might, pick holes in the performance afterwards, but from a confidence standpoint, that's probably the best outcome. Yeah.
0: Or even better, maybe you go up and then you, you stop them from getting like into field goal position or something like that to show that you can actually stop at the end. But I, I, I think what I think you said last time we talked about this game, I think it's more important for the chiefs if they're to win, to not win on like the last drive, but to win, convincingly, because like you said last time, the Chiefs are always in it and you know, they're always going to be there. They can always come back from 15 down, 17 down. They know they can win the close games, but even if they win a close game, are they really the better team? That's what you don't know. So I think for them, if they win, if they go out and win by 10, I think they sit back and say, you know what? We're probably maybe better than we were last year. And, you know, now we've got a convincing win against the team that's supposed the Super Bowl. But do they conference. need that?
1: Like why why would <laughs> you need know. that if you're them? You've you've won a Super Bowl.
0: Got a lot of new players. No, but you've won
1: yeah, you've but fundamentally, a- as long as your head coach and your quarterback and maybe some of your key position players have been there, done that. I don't think if you're like Patrick Mahomes over the course of this season, I don't think is gonna have many moments of self doubt. He's gonna think to himself, I've won a Super Bowl I've lost in a Super Bowl. You know, like there's no, they're never going to go into a playoff game feeling as if they're definitely second best. So I, I get where you're coming from. And obviously I'm sure they they would feel way better about themselves if they just absolutely destroyed the Bills in this game. But I don't think they need it much.
0: I'll tell you what Mahomes doesn't need. Any more commercials on Thursday night, Amazon football because I don't know if you had the Amazon feed. No, I don't get that. But every commercial break was the commercial with him talking with about his daughter and her future. And I've never. I I forget the tagline
1: commercial. So
0: it's. I mean, this is this is an indication maybe of how bad my CTE is. Because that commercial played 27 times during that game and I can't remember what the stupid tagline is. Oh, maybe just because I, I tried was to, trying to wonder maybe I tried, I tried to burn it out of my brain for, maybe purposely. for a second I was wondering it was so for stupid. a second I was
1: wondering what the relevance of your CTE was. as if, as if Amazon knows you've got a bad memory so they've put it on for you more often like this is very customized content for Frank duca we're, all, we're just gonna play the no. same commercial every commercial break to make sure he understands it. And he also wears
0: those stupid sunglasses in the
1: well, commercial. You, you That's your thing. I, the sunglasses. No,
0: those are awful. Those are the worst sunglasses I've ever seen on a human. And he's trying to make it his thing. And it makes me so sad because I really like him. And it's such a terrible thing to make your thing.
1: <laughs> the sunglasses don't bother me quite as much as they bother you.
0: They're so bad. Who's buying those? <laughs> well,
1: Mahomes. Yeah, buy it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and other, I mean, I guess, well, will the the Giants coming into this game against the Ravens. I suppose if they win this game, then they they kind of stamp some legitimacy on their credentials. I suppose. I mean, not from a Super Bowl contender standpoint, but certainly from a could be frisky in the playoffs. Let's say that. Wow. Playoffs. You just word the, did you just use the word playoffs and the New York Giants? I mean, from the position.
0: Playoffs? Eddie, we're talking about playoffs?
1: From the position that they're in now and the overall situation in the NFC, they have to be thinking about the playoffs. I mean.
0: Yeah, I think they are thinking about it. But as a Giants fan, I am not thinking about playoffs right now still.
1: I mean, when you factor in I'm,
0: I mean You still have three out of four games against the Cowboys and the Eagles.
1: Yeah. I'm not yes. I
0: And you and, and and you already lost one against them. So you're 0 and one already again out of those four games.
1: Yeah, but then you look at their upcoming <laughs> schedule. We we seem to do this about one team every episode. Let's yep. do it quickly then. So <laughs> Ravens. Loss. Jags. Win. Uh, Seahawks.
0: That's like a trap game. I'll give him the win, but it's a trap game. Texans. Lions. Win. There's no way they're winning all no, these but, games,
1: though. <laughs> but my point would be, we don't even have to go through their full season, right? If you just factor all of that in, that's
0: already what. That nine, yeah, they're
1: already they're already eight. at eight wins. That's without them playing their two games against the Washington Commanders. You have to imagine, at worst case scenario, they're splitting that. So, you know, they don't have to do too much to get to a nine win season, really. And nine yeah. wins in the NFC this year is probably enough for a, a wild card spot.
0: Yeah. I I mean, maybe this is a good litmus test then. You know, you're playing a team who record maybe isn't the greatest, but it's, you know, everyone always thinks they are a playoff team just the way they play football and the way Lamar Jackson can just control a game. So we'll see how they do against the Ravens. I mean, my concern is the Giants, to me, are not a team equipped to stop Lamar Jackson. They don't have a great front seven. I mean, they have Kayvon Thibodeau, who's looked okay as a rookie so far, but not phenomenal. They don't have great linebackers. He could run for 150 yards this game. You know, it could be, it could get bad. It could get ugly. I think the the litmus test for the Giants here in this game is, is their offense going to play well? Because the Ravens don't have a great defense. So if the Giants put up 17 against the Ravens, that's scary the giants should put up at least 24 against the ravens. So that's that I think is the litmus test for the giants is can their offense produce when they should be producing. So that that will be interesting to see.
1: Yeah, I mean I expect them to lose this game. They might even lose this game handily. But I do think they'll make the playoffs from the position that they're now in and with the situation for the other teams, you know you have to factor in the rams look really bad. So a team that you would have expected to, you know... We still have to talk about the rest. A team that you would have expected to end the season with a pretty decent record. You know, you would have probably looked at the situation. You would have expected two teams out of the NFC West, kind of as we spoke about in the la- on the last podcast, to be making the playoffs. And I don't know if that will be the case now. So you've, you've kind of eliminated yeah. one NFC team sort of from the running in a weird way. Uh, and then, yeah, there's just you know the NFC is definitely weaker than the AFC and so you know you could find the giants kind of scraping in there as a wild card team even if they aren't able to keep up this sort of type of winning record i don't expect them to finish the season with three losses like like we predicted the eagles yes
0: exactly so i got a good a good trivia as we shift into some of the other games who what two teams have the worst yards per play on offense in the NFL this year?
1: I'll say Rams.
0: Rams have the worst yards per play on offense.
1: And second worst, I'll say the Washington Commanders. The Cincinnati Bengals.
0: Super Bowl, from, from the Super Bowl to the two worst offensive yards per play team in the NFL right now. Is that a Super Bowl hangover or is that coming back to the norm?
1: <laughs> I think it's a combination. You know, they rode their luck in the back end of last season and definitely outperformed. You know, their their kind of end result for the season was better than what they showed over the sort of entire course of the season itself. And then I think there is a slight hangover. Part of their hangover, I think they just have – to they have too much confidence and ego. You know, part of what... Ha-
0: uh, are we talking about the, the Rams or the Bengals? And the Bengals? Okay.
1: Uh, yeah, that whole bit was the Bengals. Although much of it could have, could have also been applied to the Rams. Um, but I think particularly in the Bengals, there was too much of it was like, there was too much swagger to everything they did. And a little bit... And that helped them probably on that playoff run. But I think maybe has made them forget exactly who they are as a team and where they stand exactly. So yeah, I mean, it's,
0: it's, it's a good point because I mean, I, I think of it as like swagger can, can drive you in the short term, right. You know, and the playoffs technically are, are kind of a short term run. And if you have that swagger and that confidence, it can kind of just propel you. But then when you have to get to work, and go through a 5 6 month stretch you know and and be consistent swagger isn't going to do it it's you can't stay that high for that long and you know maybe that is part of the issue here is they can't go week in and week out and just be business like and get to work like a lot of teams like or players like Tom Brady can
1: yeah no 100% and they maybe just need to reassess kind of where they were. You know, if they'd drawn up a roadmap twelve months ago about what their progression was going to look like, they were obviously way ahead of schedule based on the run that they had in the postseason. And maybe that made them feel as if they were way ahead of schedule in terms of their actual development. And I don't think they were. I think they just got a few semi-lucky wins and managed to nearly win the Super Bowl. And in Any other year, they probably would have lost a couple of rounds earlier and everyone would have said, hey, that was a nice, encouraging season from the Bengals. They could be a good team in the future. And instead, they got thrown into the category of Super Bowl contender year in, year out for the rest as long as Joe Burrow is around. And that was probably a little too much too soon.
0: So give me your will not watch one minute game for this week, because there are a few contenders. One clear favorite. Which, for me, would be the, the Colts-Jags. But there are some others.
1: Yeah. I think, realistically for me, it's Seattle-Arizona. Because at least yeah. the Colts-Jags, because of the division they're in, like either of those teams could win their division. Because it's just such a mess. So I feel like I have to pay more attention to that game, in a way. The three contenders really are Browns, Patriots. Oh, that just sounds boring. Just just, that but just sounds But there are some storylines to it, right? Like, again, they're both.
0: Bill Belichick, around to hear about yeah, every this. Every time he plays Cleveland,
1: you got to hear about the fact that he got fired from the Browns, yeah. as a Browns. As a-
0: Coach the Browns 37 yeah. fucking years and ago. And it's still bitter about <laughs> it.
1: You know? As if he... yeah. Still,
0: the only reason he's waking up sh- in the morning every day still is the one exactly, year he gets to play the, the Browns. Teach Cleveland
1: a lesson. <laughs> and also, right, if he wins this game, I think he goes tied for second for the most wins as a head coach in NFL history. So also not that interesting of a storyline because he's obviously going to get a win at some point in the rest of the season. So he's definitely moving into second. I think he's 23 wins behind top so that i think is a more interesting debate like will he stay as a head coach long enough to get 23 more wins like i'm imagining oh
0: he will die on the field
1: because <laughs> i mean how many win, how many seasons do you think it will take for the patriots to win 23 more games this
0: patriots
1: <laughs> team about 22 <laughs> seasons <laughs> I mean, I would say five to be safe. Yeah, it's three to five. And the safe answer is five is the max. I'm giving five is the max. Like
0: I will be surprised if it takes more than five. Yeah, because
1: I can't see them ever being worse than a four to five win team. So even if you're a five win team, you're getting there. So
0: how many years is a five win team? Does he As long as he wants. Does he get five years as you a five-year I think five they would fire dude? him
1: after year four when he's say three wins away from breaking the record. Oh. It would be, be th- it would be the Belichick that would be the Belichick that he would to he would respect them. That would be the way that would be the way yeah. Robert Kraft could earn Bill Belichick's ultimate respect. It would even be better like one win yep. away. Just go.
0: It doesn't matter if
1: I'm one win away. Exactly.
0: I don't deserve another season. They're right. I should yeah, be it's fired. like when he I cuts guys it. like
1: the day before the Super Bowl. Like it's that's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, even better. I think if he got his ultimate respect, it'd be the Patriots heading into the Super Bowl. Bill Belichick tied most wins of all time, and he just says, "Sorry, Bill, I don't like, I don't like the feeling coming out of the camp. Time <laughs> to go."
0: Or they lose in the Super Bowl. And then he fires them because the loss was so bad but, in the Super Bowl. But end of the season would be it. the
1: normal time to fire him, if you see what I mean. So that would be it would come as less of yeah. a surprise. But no, I do think I think if he wants to hang around to break that record, I don't I don't know if Bill Belichick cares about records. He feels like he both does and doesn't. But if you ask him, he'll say he doesn't
0: even know what the word yeah. record means. Like that will be his answer. <laughs> What defines a record? I don't care. (laughs) Like, what?
1: (laughs) But, no, it's, uh, yeah, interesting. And
0: So, I'll tell you one that I think I am very heavy on as, like, one of my most confident picks is the Packers against the Jets. You have a Jets team who is slightly cocky winning two in a row and kind of blowing out the Dolphins. And you have a Packers team and a pissed off Aaron Rodgers, who is embarrassed in London, by a New York team playing another New York team. This just has, you know, like Rodgers, 350 yards, five TDs, win by 20 written
1: all over it. Yeah, it does feel as if the the line on this game is closer than I would have expected it to be. At the same time, obviously, the Packers have been pr- yeah, the Packers Green have Bay. been pretty un- unconvincing so far. It does feel like a little bit of an overreaction. Like if this had been week one of the season, the Packers are what, like 10-point favorites? You know, so have, yeah, have our Tough. perceptions of both of these teams changed that much over the course of the last few weeks? Um, the one issue I guess you would say is they didn't have a bye week after their London game. So you are having to factor in Travel a bit of jet lag. It's not ideal preparation for a game, but it's the Jets, so
0: yeah. And this is coming from someone who hates the Packers, <laughs> thinks are the most overrated team of the last ten years. But yeah, no,
1: I do. I think, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would be extremely. The teams this weekend that would surprise me the most if they lost number one is the Bucks against the the Steelers. Like if if the Steelers win that game even with a little bit of weird stuff going on in Tampa Bay it would still just stun me the next i think that would su- the one next that would surprise me the most is the is the packers and then after that after that it actually gets tricky cuz i actually think it's one of those weekends vikings
0: i mean they're playing... Egg- they're gonna have either the, either the Dolphins have a rookie at QB or at best they have a slightly concussed Teddy Bridgewater.
1: I still I don't trust the Vikings though. You know what I mean? Like the, I the,
0: you should Eddie. How do you not trust Kirk Cousins? How many times has he revitalized your weekend of binge drinking by just pumping yeah, that And blood how many times has he
1: also ruined my week by losing to a team that you thought there was no way he would lose to them? So. That would be, yeah. I mean, I would not be stunned if they lost. In the same way, look, I think the Rams should absolutely like should beat the Panthers, but because of what we've seen from the Rams so far this season, I wouldn't be stunned if somehow the Panthers scraped come, some kind of victory out of that. But I would be very surprised. But look, I'll, I'll be I'll be honest. You're, you, you'll make you smile, I'm sure. I'll, I'll be really surprised if the Niners lose to the Falcons. Like I
0: i would be surprised by that. Like that's another
1: game where the line to me seems closer than it should be like this Falcons team, because obviously they've covered the spread in every game so far and they've managed to keep themselves close in them. I think people, they're fooling people into thinking they're actually good or at least decent. But the reality is, is like there's a few backdoor covers in there and stuff and they've been down by quite a lot and managed to get back into games. They're not really actually good. And against the Niners team where they're going to, you know, if the de- their defense is so good and they'll just run the ball all over you, that ability, like if, if the Niners are suddenly up by 17 points, they're not going to let the Falcons just slip back into the game.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think the Niners should win that pretty handily. You'll be happy to know, though, Eddie, that I have officially removed the Rams from any of my week weak picks. Finally. <laughs> Two two weeks in a row that they've been the only loss on my bet. I've officially been. Congratulations!
1: Done with it's the it's the.
0: Thank you. I'm learning much quicker yeah. than the previous. Normally that would years. have been a week fifteen decision, <laughs> but
1: you've, you've got there.
0: Yeah. Last game we'll talk about is the Sunday night game because I don't want to talk about the Monday night game because I'm tired of talking about Russell Wilson. Cowboys Eagles. What's your prediction?
1: Um, I mean, I, I think the Eagles are are good. So I, I think the Eagles will win this game. I still, I just, I'm not willing to start buying Cooper Rush stock, you know, and this would be, it's always, if if, if, if it gets to the point, if, if, the, if the Cowboys win this, it gets to the point of, you start to have the conversation of, does Dak Prescott get his job back when he's healthy again? Yeah, you know, like there's, there's the moment when that conversation has to be had. Not, not to say that, not to say that I think that Cooper Rush is the next Tom Brady, but there would be the moment where this starts to become like a Tom Brady, Drew Bledsoe situation of, okay, we know we've got the somewhat proven guy with a really big contract waiting to get back from injury, but this younger guy is, is doing a pretty good job. So we're going to keep riding the hot hand for now. And yeah, I just I'm not willing yet to because I can't look at that win against the Rams and read too much into it because the Rams are kind of garbage. This to me feels like the real the first real test of this Cowboys team in their current sort of form. And I, I think that even though the Eagles were a little unconvincing last weekend, I just think that they're the better team.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I I've watched the Cowboys a lot this season and they've never really super impressed me. But then I've watched the Eagles and there's just something about they just methodically go down the field and they finish their drives. Whether it's Jalen Hurts just QB sneaking until he gets into the end zone, whatever it takes. I mean they they finish their drives and I think that, you know, that that count definitely counts for something. So, you know, when you look against not that i want to bring this game up cuz it was probably one of the worst games i've ever watched in nfl history but when you watch when the bears got down to what the 3 yard line on the final drive if that were the eagles i honestly think the call is qb sneak until you get in. if you don't get in the first time line up again quick qb <laughs> I don't sneak know, again. That's, if you don't know like, it might be a
1: little bit more and, su- and, i think it might be more I sophisticated think it is. than qb sneak but
0: <laughs> i don't i don't know i mean they do it like if they get within the thir- the 3 yard line on their goal line, that's the first play they always try is just a yeah. QB sneak with Hurts
1: yeah, because but with, it works. With no timeouts a- it, though, it just calling it over and over again. <laughs> they had a ton yeah, of time. would have disappeared because QB sneak, you got to like unpile bodies and stuff. That's like a 25-second play basically to get reset. I I do get what you're saying. I think they would have been a little bit more creative and, and probably at least had one play where you would have had Utilize. him try and run with the ball. Right? I think the <laughs> – the Bears should have done the same thing yes. on Thursday Night Football. You should have had at least one play where you give him a chance to maybe run in, you know. And it's the play we, to me, it's the play we talk about all the time. You get your quarterback to roll out, knowing he either has a couple receivers kind of running parallel to him, and if a linebacker or a DB steps up to try and close off the possibility of the run, you usually get just the easy, like six yard touchdown throw. Like that to me, I would do that play every single time. As long as you have a court, my only fear a little bit looking back at fields is his decision-making is so poor. Cause the one thing you then have to tell him is if you feel like you're going to get sacked, you just throw the ball out the back of the end zone. And if fields probably would have just held on to it because his decision-making just seems terrible. Yeah. like
0: I, It's surprising to me that people are kind of surprised by the way he's playing because as someone who watched Ohio state most weeks, this is exactly how he was in Ohio state. He's not super accurate. He has a great deep ball and Ohio state lives off of just having fast receivers who are better than 99% of the teams they play. And they would just go over the top, whether it was like, a, a post to the middle or just a straight vertical. They loved having those deep balls, and he throws a good—he throws a good deep ball. But if you ask him to pinpoint a throw, it was never his strong point. And it's just shocking to me that sometimes people are like, "How did he not make that throw?" Well, he—he he never really made that throw. Like that was his thing. So I, uh, you know, I—I I think I think he's showing what he is, and I don't think he's going to get much better than this.
1: Yeah, I also think the the. Rapid success of some quarterbacks in recent years has fooled us into thinking that there isn't a teething process. Like, I don't think Justin Fields is going to be great anyway, but I think we've, because of how good Mahomes and even Allen and a handful of other quarterbacks have been within one or two seasons of being Joe Burrow, even within one or two seasons of being in the in the NFL, I think we've kind of been tricked into thinking that every good prospect within 24 months should be in not necessarily their final version, but almost, you know, should be capable of winning a Super Bowl, basically. And the reality is history would have shown us the opposite. And it takes four or five seasons for most quarterbacks to get used to the speed, learn the new complexities of the playbook, kind of really get up and running. You know, that counts even for the likes of Peyton Manning, that was the case, right? So, you know, and Andrew Luck, who was one of the, you know, in in our lifetime, probably the most highly thought of quarterback prospect I would say and you know it's still his first couple of seasons weren't that pretty so I don't think Justin Fields is going to be great but I also think people people are too quick nowadays and I know this is coming off the back of me insulting Trevor Lawrence on multiple occasions over the course of this season but I think people are too quick to decide that we've well this quarterback has started nine games now and he's not that good so he's never going to be good. Yeah. I mean the only the only argument
0: against that is Trevor Lawrence. I mean he's come right in and looked like complete shit. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait. Okay, last last football American football question. Trevor Lawrence, good game or bad game this week? That's it. That's all um, I want to know. Bad game.
1: Okay. So he's going to set some records this weekend. <laughs> he's going to throw for 900 yards. Yep, yeah. that's my prediction now. All right. Well, I guess we can wrap the sports up then and move on to TV talk, which we only have one show to focus on, and that is the season finale from Lord of the Rings. The Rings of Power, Rings yeah. Rings of Power. Yeah. I guess we obviously on the last episode kind of made some predictions to a certain point about what we thought would happen in this final episode. I will say we did, we discussed how that in that episode, not a, in episode seven, not much had happened. And they had a couple of, they had multiple storylines that they needed to wrap up possibly in this season. In the end, they wrapped all of them up. It disappointed me that they did so little in that in season in episode seven and that they could have done a bit of that wrapping up in episode seven and not like episode eight just felt like a whirlwind that I almost didn't appreciate the things that were happening because so much was happening. And in particular now I'm assuming this does confirm that the mystery wizard is Gandalf. Like it's not confirmed, but several major it is.
0: It is confirmed. But he, because well, no, you're right. It's not officially confirmed, but the major confirmation There's at the end, the, follow the quote your he has, the yeah. follow your nose. So,
1: yeah, a word for word quote so yeah, he said a- in the Assume that I felt like they could have done that in Episode Seven. That the Gandalf storyline could have been progressed a lot further in Episode Seven, leaving the Ring, Sauron story for Episode Eight. Yeah,
0: I I think at the very least, I don't I never like the idea of revealing a false like trick in the plot at the beginning of an episode and already wrapping it up by the end of the episode. It should have at least been maybe the end of episode. The episode before is Sauron, our Lord. And everyone's like, what? No, 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 that can't be. And then you can debate it and think about it. And then go into the next episode and slowly not four and you a, know change it. Not
1: four and a half minutes later, being like, oh no, that was yeah. that was they were wrong.
0: I mean, in fairness, I've known like I've predicted since the second episode that Halibrand was Sauron. Like I was full on board. And once they said, like Sauron our master, I was even more on board that Sauron was actually Halbrand at that point. Because I was like, no, that's too they would never make it that easy. They would never just have someone go out and say, you are character you know like there's more to that
1: yeah which makes you wonder because obviously the internet as a whole right was pretty accurate in terms of the predictions of what was going to happen fairly early on and it makes you wonder if they thought like when you're making that TV show do you feel like everyone will have this figured out and yeah
0: you, you can only you can only hide it so much without making it bad from like a plot and and a like a story sense, and I think they did a good job. Like if you're not a huge Lord of the Rings follower and you're just watching this show casually, I think you would think that maybe the Stranger could be a bad guy and that maybe Halbrand could be a good guy. You know, like it, I think they did a decent job. Yeah. They hit it as well as they could by still making it kind of fun and interesting.
1: My other criticism would be the. Personality progression from uh, this, like the Sauron perspective was a little too rapid. He went yes. from really being nice guy, like whatever act he was putting on to as soon as then it was just in the space, you know, like as soon as he kind of re- um, emerges in the Elven world, all of a sudden just, oh, I'll just kind of behave like a weirdo here. Like that was straight away. That bit was, that also to me happened a little bit too rapidly, which could have benefited from him making it there in episode seven and kind of having a much more gradual reveal. But it was, as soon as he was there, it was like, oh, here we go. This is, things aren't right.
0: No, I I 100% agree. So I think from what I've heard, originally this was supposed to be a 10 episode season but then they condense it into eight. If this is what they ended up condensing these last two episodes, it's a real shame. If you tell me they condensed episodes, the original one through six into one through four, I'm okay with that. But if this is where they cut the time, it's a shame because I would have been, I would have had more enjoyment watching him slowly kind of turn while, while with the elves and while like kind of figuring out how to make the rings and how he's going to make his ring and putting it together but it like within the span of 15 minutes it went from all the elves are going to die because we don't have enough mithril to hey let's just make all these rings and forge all these rings to oh now i know what i'm going to do see you guys later i'm going to mordor
1: you know like which is which very is the, quickly which is the other thing too right if you don't if you're coming like Obviously, most people who are watching this will have some familiarity with the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and stuff. But if you were just coming in, you know, if you're a kid or something and this is your first exposure to this story, the fact that he then appears, you know, you don't know that he has to go and cast his own ring or he's planning on casting his own ring at Mount Doom. Like you don't know this bit. And so him kind of, the final scene of him staring off over them towards the mountain. Yeah. It's less significant. You don't know what his plan is. Maybe that's what they want. But if if you work under the assumption that, I don't know, whatever, 70% of people pretty much know where the story kind of has to go. Like, even if you've just seen Lord of the Rings, you, you have some idea of what has to happen with these rings. Then you're not really adding anything with that element. But if you don't know what's going on, it just seems totally meaningless.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it was a good episode and I guess at the end when you look at the season as a whole, it's a decent first season I guess in terms of setting things up, but I think they spoiled a little too much and it, that finale was way too fast. I would rather that've
1: been a two episode finale. Can, can or at I, least
0: make it at least make it 15 more minutes at the very least.
1: I also just I kind of don't get the ring thing. Like I I don't get and again, I know there'll be people who've read the books and stuff who will be not frustrated.
0: not part of the books.
1: But I don't understand the myth. This whole mithril thing. Yeah, I don't understand how this saves them. I don't understand the real significance of the tree and like why I'm they have pretty to,
0: sure that's their own invention. That's not part of the book.
1: So I don't get this like our tree is dying and that's bad for us. We just have to go somewhere else. I don't really understand Oh,
0: that that's part of like the the elven lore like
1: but but i but they can just go somewhere else with another tree right like it's not the biggest deal in the world is it
0: well they can't come back to middle earth yeah they like leave middle earth
1: okay couldn't they go and live with it the dwarves have a tree don't they you know what i mean like
0: (laughs) but their tree's dying too
1: (laughs) but, but you know eventually but like they, they've never really – they kind of didn't explain the tree bit enough. It was just sort of like the yeah. tree is dying, uh-oh, catastrophe. They didn't really explain how the mithril solves that problem. And then they definitely didn't explain how the rings solve the problem of the tree. And the, it's just like yeah. these are really powerful rings, okay? Yeah. And when we have these powerful but- rings, <laughs> everything will be better.
0: But the other part that – like. Just to like what puts the stamp on that it was too quick was when like within the first 15 minutes of the episode, they're like, hey, listen, we didn't get enough Mithril, but we've got a solution. We're going to make these rings. Guys like, nope, too late. Sorry, we got to (laughs) go. Like what? (laughs) That's just the epitome of how quick that episode was. We're like, no, we've got the solution. Sorry, you're, you're, you're too late. Really? We're 10 minutes into this episode. How are we too late?
1: <laughs> no, yeah, it's true. And so do the three, do those three elves are they the ones that wear the rings? So it's those three just cuz they're there. They just get the rings. I think so, yeah. Just just happy to be there like, "Oh, wow. I really got fortunate here. I got this ultimate ring of power cuz I was in the room when it was cast."
0: So I'm not, like, I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings person, but from what I think is they go to separate areas. So like El- like in Lord of the Rings, Elrond is in – fuck, I'm going to get roasted for not knowing what the hell it's called. But he's there, and then Galadriel is in the forest. Remember, they go visit her in the forest. So I think like wherever they are, the elves can like survive. Okay. All right. And I don't know where Kelly Brumbon is.
1: So the rings are replacing the tree, basically.
0: Or, yeah, or they're like, yeah, I guess.
1: Like the ring, they are then a walking tree, fundamentally. Kind of. Like they're providing this, whatever, this energy life source that the other elves need.
0: Yeah, I think that's more the thing, is like they're providing a life source to keep the elves eternal.
1: Okay. All
0: right. I think. That's from what little I know. And, And again,
1: a lot of people listening to this will be frustrated by the fact that we don't know this. And my point would but be- But maybe
0: that's an indication of the show. Exactly. Because I'm
1: not coming into it as a complete, you know, like I've I've read The Hobbit. I've watched The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And still, I don't completely understand. Now, all of none of that recently either. So maybe some of my, my knowledge of this would be a bit clearer if that had been in the last 15 years. But the fact that within the show itself, they didn't just take 15 seconds- to properly explain what these rings would do like oh yeah the way this tree works is that in order for us to stay in the middle of earth it, it emits this life source and the elves need to be within x distance of this to be able to you know live forever see
0: i don't even know if it's the tree that's giving off the life source but the tree is like an indication of the life sources life is not a good word but like the life sources power And, like, as the tree dies, that means maybe that, like, the aura is dying kind of thing. Because there's, like, a darkness that's taking over, and the tree is kind of, like, almost like an elf that it survives off of this life force. And as the tree's dying, you know that, like, the life force is dying. That, I think that is what I think it is, but maybe I'm wrong as well. But, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think... It's a shame that they rushed that episode because that was actually a really good... Over two episodes, that's a really good two-episode finale. That would have been really good, I think. For as much as they dragged out other parts of the season, to rush that was kind of a shame.
1: Yes. On the heels of episode seven being the weakest episode, in our opinions at least, and the episode that contained the least action and plotline yeah. development to then follow that up. We've been like, and now let's wrap everything up really, really quickly. It seemed unnecessary. They could have yeah. split, they could have taken half of episode seven and used that for a lot of the plot lines that we then saw in episode eight and the show itself probably would have benefited from that.
0: Now I'll tell you, tell me if this interests you or doesn't. So the showrunners have said season one, was gonna focus on Galadriel and who is she, what's her journey, you know, where has she tripped up? Season two, please they God, said please is God, don't
1: be, say anything Hobbit related. Please God. Is
0: all harf no <laughs> is all is is Sauron focused. And like why Sauron is is like evil. evil but but not fully evil and kind of like in this in between of you know like he wants to like it's what he said to Galadriel, right? Like he he wants to rule the world, but doesn't have to necessarily be an evil rule. But you know that yeah. whole that whole bit that he goes through. So that's it's going to be supposedly it's going to be a Sauron focused season where you get insights into him.
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, that probably makes sense because again, that doesn't seem to be, and I'm sure it is explained in more detail if you've read like everything associated with the story. But yeah, if you're certainly if you're just someone who's watching the movies, watching the TV show. He's just a evil person who exists. There's no real explanation of it, you know? So aside from the fact, obviously they hint at the fact in what, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy that he wasn't always evil, you know, cause he kind of had that dynamic with um, Gandalf, right? Where there is some sort of, suggestion at that one moment in time he was a sort of more positive force but well they think
0: like yeah and supposedly it was kind of like it could have been this time and you can kind of see it like he he wasn't super evil you know like as halbrand like disguised as halbrand like he could have killed galadriel right there and he didn't
1: (laughs) yeah that that made also didn't make sense to me and that could have done with it being, being a section where like him revealing himself then just confusing her by entering into her mind for a while and then i don't know dumping her in the river trying to yeah and
0: trying to convince her to join yeah and then him. then dumping
1: her in the river and running off like okay. he didn't you know it's kind of weird like he just needed the rings to exist he didn't want one of them or something you know what i mean like the, <laughs> there's this weird part where it's it feels like if he'd been a little bit more strategic he could have just not revealed himself quite so soon and had some benefit from all of that i don't know it was just kind of strange like okay i got them to make the rings now i can run away (laughs) yeah yeah disappointing we'll have to try and find another television show to replace it for the tv talk because well we've got two more game of thrones (laughs) i'm i'm almost at the point where i'd rather have leprosy than watch any more (laughs) game of thrones (laughs) Alright. Alright, well with
0: that, do you have any any more topics? No, that's it for me. Alright. Time to go watch some Penn State football. Good luck. Alright, talk to you later. See ya. Cheerio.